0: morning Morning. welcome uh riverview folks if this is uh your first time here we're glad to have you at riverview um just want to give you like a caveat on, on the front end here if you came and this is your you came for loud and fancy and flashy and uh what's that pastor gonna do like entertain me like that's not my job my job's not here to entertain you. Uh, my job is to get us into God's word. And so if you came to open up your Bible and to dig in, that's what we're doing this morning. So if you brought your Bible, would you open it to Jonah chapter one? That's in those uh, sticky pages somewhere after the middle. Um, so uh, don't be afraid to look at the table of contents and find out what page it is. Uh, we just want you to get there, okay? Um Congratulations on making it though. Uh, the first service they had to make it through the rain. Um, you had to make it through the sunshine and like what the day was gonna look like. So glad that you guys are here, um, but totally anticipate you being caffeinated and ready uh, to in- interact and engage this morning. So are you guys ready? Okay, hey, oh man. I, you've already said way more than the first service did, okay? So this is a bit of a dialogue coming in this direction, but it's a conversation. So let's dig in and talk about God's word together. Um, the topic for the morning, we'll just give it to you on the front end, is uh, when our belief and our behavior, when those two things don't match up together. Anybody ever struggle with that? Like in other words, like the struggle that we have to live out our faith in Jesus like we want so desperately to proclaim what we believe and, to, and to, uh, to own this thing. But there is so much sometimes that gets in the way that comes from the outside pressure in and then from the inside pressure out. And we don't always connect well with our behavior and our belief. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Doesn't it sound fun? Sound like a great morning? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, can I confess something to you guys though as we're starting to roll? Um, don't tell anybody. Uh, I don't like to clean my house. Uh, Anybody else just like not like to clean your, like, yeah, I don't like to clean anybody else's house either, okay? Um, It's just not my thing. Um, If you said, hey, Anthony, could you come and help me clean my house? um, God bless you. Uh, I would uh, take a little while to get back to your text. Um, I would take a little while to maybe lose your voicemail. Um, or to uh, not see the email. I'm just giving you the fringes of my heart, okay? This is where I'm at. Um, and, but I would come eventually and help you clean your house because I love Jesus and I love you, but I would not be happy about cleaning up your house at all, okay? Anybody else? Is there anybody who actually likes to clean homes in here, likes to clean your house? And um, like you're a Monica from Friends, right? Um, don't judge me. Okay. Don't do that. Uh, just like, man, I just love to clean stuff and I love to help people. Um, God bless you. If that's you, um, you can come to our house. You can come to anybody else who raised their hand and said, they don't like to clean their house. Okay. Find them. You guys connect. It'd be a great friendship. Join rooted together. It'd be fun. Okay. <laughs> yes. Connect. Uh, but here's the deal. It's not that I don't like to have a clean house. I actually love having a clean house. Um, it's nice. It smells nice. You can find everything again. um, That shoe that you've been looking for from your toddler for the past year and a half, you find it behind something like, hey, I found it. But now they're grown out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like you you find things that way. Now, I wanna tell you this so that I don't speak ill of my wife or my family. I don't like to clean our house, but they do a fantastic job. My wife is awesome at it. The kids have jumped in and they're amazing at it too. Um, and so they're good at it. I, and I wanna be, I just don't like doing it. But here, here's the deal. And maybe this is true of a lot of the people in here. Once I actually get started cleaning the house, do you know what happens? It's actually not that bad, fellas. So, so jump in, all right? It's not that bad. Once you start doing it, um, uh, like I'll, I'll actually get the job done. Right. If there's a time frame, I'll work in that time frame. If there's a task to get done, I'll actually do it. It's just sometimes hard to get started. There was a guy back in the uh, the 17th century who actually talked about something about like this. Not necessarily about cleaning homes, but he talked about something called the law of inertia that he that he discovered. His name was Sir Isaac Newton, and I'm guessing he probably didn't like to clean either because he had a lot of time to do a lot of brainy things and really discover some things, um, and uh, kept himself out in the garage. Guys, listen, the ladies are on to you. They're they're on to us. Like if the garage is if it's time to clean out the refrigerator and you escape to the garage, they know what you're doing, right? Like you need to find a new game. I'm like I, hey, I gotta go mow the grass. At least get something else done, right? Um, don't just they're, they're figuring it out. Sir Isaac Newton, I think he probably had a lot of time on his hands because he wasn't cleaning the house, but he was absolutely brilliant. Manna, who was into physics. He in the mechanics. He wanted to know how things worked and how things moved. And he started looking at the mass and the size of objects and saying, well, this, this one's this size and this one's this size. So they interact with, with things differently. Um, and he wanted to figure out what it took to move them if they were in place and what it took to stop them if they were already in motion. And so he discovered what we talked about is the law of inertia. And, and what he said was, here's the idea, that objects in motion, they stay in motion. And objects at rest... They stay at rest Um, unless there is an external force that disrupts the, the object and it changes the momentum or it changes its direction, okay? In other words, if you have a motor, fellas, sitting in your front yard, that joker's not moving unless you physically go out there and move it. It's not moving itself. If there's a bus that's heading down the street going 70 miles an hour, it is gonna continue on that direction unless there is something of equal mass and size or greater size that will cause that thing to stop or shift its direction or to change its direction. You guys didn't know you were getting a physics lesson this morning, did you? That's all I know, so don't ask me anything about physics. That's it, you just got it all. But Isaac Newton, he said this as well, doing the same studies. He said, things have a natural tendency to resist changes in their motion. Anybody feel that? Things have a natural tendency to resist changes in their motion. Put that on in your life. Things have a natural tendency to resist changes in their life. They'd rather keep going in the same direction if they're already in one direction. Or they'd rather stay in a seated position if they're already in a seated position and not be moved. Is that challenging to anybody yet? Second service, let's go. Do, do you see where we're going this morning? Because... This happens in the Christian life all the time. You see this law of inertia, it it, it works itself out. If we're in motion, it doesn't matter what direction that we're heading in, we could be heading in the wrong direction, we could be heading in the right direction, but if we're already in motion, we're not easy to stop. And if we're at rest and we're sitting on our hands, it's very difficult to get us up and, and moving. And that's true unless... Unless there's an external force that comes in that is greater than us, unless an external force that comes in that has more mass than us and that has more weight than us, that disrupts us, and that changes our direction or causes us internally to change. Now, of course, as believers, we know in the Christian life that that external force that we're talking about, that motivator that we're talking about, that gets in the way, that's the Holy Spirit of God. God has put the Holy Spirit on earth and he has placed him inside of our heart. If you are a believer to be the agent of change that is necessary to either get us moving in the right direction or to stop us and hit the brakes and get us turned back around and get on the right track if necessary. The Holy Spirit is the check inside of us that says, you know what? We probably ought to stop doing what we're doing. Or, or the check inside of us that says, you know what, we ought to probably get up off of our hands and use the gifts that God has given us for his kingdom and for the benefit of the body that he's put us in. Like, that's the Holy Spirit putting a check in our life. And so the truth is, it doesn't matter who you are in this place this morning. It doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter what name you carry or where your last name has been drugged through or what pedestal it's been put on. If you feel like you're falling into the abyss with no restraint, with zero help causing you to stop, or you feel like you're stuck in a rut and you can't get off the couch, the Holy Spirit is there and he's ready to do some work in your life. He's ready to put you into motion, amen? That's supposed to be 100 people in here saying amen, right? Come on, second service, let's go. We're in the book of Jonah here and we see the law of inertia being played out in Jonah's life. In chapter one, we covered it a couple weeks ago, half of it. And we said that as we're diving into the book of Jonah, here, here, here's what we're finding out. We're finding out that this is a book about a prophet, a prophet of God who is extremely mad at God for doing God-sized things, for doing God stuff. He is mad at God for bringing grace to people that he thinks doesn't deserve grace. In the book of Jonah, you've got this raunchy and nasty city called Nineveh. And they're full of evil and vile and sadistic people who are hurting people, who are maiming people, who are doing just things that we don't even wanna talk about, but have been recorded in history so that we can know about them. And Jonah says, I don't want anything to do with these people, I can't stand them. He would rather see them burn in a forever hell and be destroyed than to experience the grace of God. That is Jonah, and that is his heart. But God has a different plan for Nineveh. And Jonah can't get his mind around what God wants to do with Nineveh. And so what's he do? He goes and he has a little pity party for himself. He throws a little pity party. He says, fine, if that's what you're going to do, if you're gonna show people like that, if you're gonna give them grace, that's fine, you're God, you can do whatever, you're the creator of the heavens and the earth, and I understand that, and you've called me, but that's your prerogative. If that's what you wanna do, you can do it, but it's not gonna be on my watch. I'm not doing it, I'm not going. You can find somebody else to do the mission that you've called, called me to do, but it's not going to be me. I am done. And so he goes down to a place called Joppa. He catches an oceanic Uber and that is on its way to Tarshish, which by the way, Tarshish was at the time, it was the place that was known as the end of the earth. This, this, this is where you go to disappear. And so he was leaving and he had zero intention of ever coming back. In other words, to put it in vernacular, maybe that we're familiar with, um, the saying goes, he gone, right? He gone and he ain't coming back. And so Jonah, he goes and he gets his ticket. He boards the boat, almost like he's heading on vacation and he's leaving God behind. I speak to anybody? I'm going on vacation, but I'm not packing God with me. He's not in my suitcase. He's not in my heart. I'm gonna, wherever I go, whatever happens there is what happens there and it stays there. But God, he can stay back home. Jonah is heading out on a vacation and he's not taking God with him. And he gets onto this boat and he's moving around. Hey guys, hey, what's going on? Excuse me, hello, what's going on? And he's working himself past the captain and the crew and he's going deeper and deeper down into the boat. He puts his headphones on, pulls his hoodie up and he has the intention that he is not talking to anyone and he's not being disrupted. And he settles his sorry carcass down into the belly of the boat. And you wanna know how much he really doesn't care? This is what scripture tells us. God tells us here that Jonah, in the midst of this, going down into the boat, he falls fast asleep. He doesn't care. He puts his physical body to rest. But what we're seeing, it's not just his physical body that's going to rest. This is his spiritual life and his spiritual body that's in now a state of rest. He just stops. He is no longer in motion physically or spiritually. Think about this. And um, it's probably not always true, but I think it's true a lot. Um, people who have a soft heart for God and who want to be led by him when we 've sinned or, or when, when i when 've sinned in the, in the past and and we 're actively walking in sin and we 're sinning against, against God and we 're living in open rebellion and we know we are there is like this pit inside of our stomach right you know what i 'm talking about you ever experienced that pit like i know i 'm walking against God I know and it 's like right here and you can't and you can 't get rid of it and the, and, and, and everything you know. Everything you know inside of you. You know that you've been purchased and you've been bought and you've been redeemed by God through the blood of Jesus. You know that. You know that you are tight and and there's nothing that can pull you out of the grip of God. You know that you are secure in him, but you also know that you're grieving the Holy Spirit. That the actions that you're living out, they're breaking down the work that God wants to do in you and they're breaking down the work that God wants to do through you to build his kingdom. He wants to do amazing work in you, but when you're living in open rebellion, he can't do that. And so because there's this because of that, there's this pit in your stomach and you can't eat well, you can't sleep well, your sleep gets interrupted because your heart, it's in turmoil. And in that moment, there's a struggle in what I say that I believe and how I'm living in my behavior. These two things, they're not matching up and we feel it deep down inside of our gut. If you were to read through the Proverbs, Proverb after Proverb after Proverb says, when you're doing the right thing, your soul's at rest and you sleep. You lay your head down at night, there's nothing that's troubling you and you can get rest. But when you're living in disobedience and rebellion to the law of God, and when that is a repeated action in your life and there is no reserve, there is no being redirected by the Holy Spirit, rest is not your friend. It is not your companion at all. And so when you're treating your spouse like a jerk, you shouldn't be able to sleep. You should be disrupted in your heart. When you are playing with the numbers and the ledger and and, and working the numbers to pad your pockets and to pad your bank account, you should not be able to sleep at night. The Holy Spirit should be punching you in the soul and saying, this isn't right. This is not okay. And you don't sleep at night. But when your heart is tuned in into God, not perfect, not getting everything right, but walking towards him in obedience, maybe messing up sometimes, you, you, you're able to sleep. Isn't that true? have I mean, you felt that? The Proverbs come true in our lives when we feel our heart being disrupted when we're walking in disobedience. But Jonah here, he is resting like there's nothing wrong. He's sleeping down in the bottom of this boat, like everything is fine. He is literally an object at rest. And in his mind, he plans to stay that way, uninterrupted. Now, objects at rest, they tend to stay at rest and they resist being moved unless they are jolted into movement again by an external force that comes in and that is able to get them moving again and move them in the right direction, okay? Jonah, in this moment, if you're tracking with me, he has to be jolted by God if he's gonna get back on track. A nudge isn't gonna work, a poke's not gonna work. God has to get his attention, so read verse four and five with me. But the Lord, Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So we have a storm on the ocean. We find Jonah down in the bottom of the boat. He is fast asleep, and you have these trained mariners, these these uh, sailors who have probably lived on the ocean their entire lives, going back and forth, ferrying people, trading goods and whatnot. They are familiar with the ocean. They are chucking everything overboard that is their livelihood so that they don't actually drown. And they are running around and they are screaming and they're praying and they're crying and they're praying and they're crying and they're calling out to their gods, hoping that somebody might hear them and intervene and stop the chaos that's going on. It's actually, it's a frantic scene. It's tragic, really. These men are trying not to die. And while they're trying not to die, they find Jonah fast asleep in the boat. That word fast asleep there, uh, the Hebrew translation for that, it means that he's got drew bubbles coming out of the corner of his mouth. It means that he is snoring up a storm, that this brother is not waking up, okay? Anybody's spouse sleep like that? All right, yeah, this is, <laughs> That was my wife, she raised her hand. Yeah. Don't tell the truth in church. What are, you, what are you doing? You got your spouse like elbowing you all throughout the night, like knock it off. The neighbors can hear you. It sounds like a train is ripping through our house. can't believe you said that, babe. He's fast asleep. Um, these mariners, they come to him. The captain first actually finds him and says, what are you doing? Get up, you sleeper. And then the crew jumps in and says, what's going on? Wake up, call out to your God. And they don't know this yet. Jonah knows this, but Jonah's God is the one true God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the God who created the ocean and the sea that they're actually floating on right now. And they don't know this yet. And Jonah is learning this, that God is orchestrating this, this whole thing. And when we see that, that God's in control of this, we say, well, wait, wait a minute. God calls this storm? This storm didn't happen naturally while they were out there on the water. Like Jonah messed up and he's running from God and, and, and maybe just nature ran its course. And because nature ran its course, now God has an opportunity to intervene. Like God didn't know what was going on. Like nature just did it. You, you mean that God is behind this, that he'll, he'll use things? He'll, use, not, he'll not just use things, but he'll actually cause things like storms in our life to get our attention? Because haven't we been told over and over and over again, that God doesn't cause distress in our lives. He'll use distress, but he won't cause it. But but who, who said that? Who, who said that God won't cause things to happen? Look at verse four. What's verse four? It says, but the Lord, this is the Lord, God, he hurled a great wind upon the sea. This was him, he did that. This is his doing. So hold up now, now. Wait, 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 like what's going on? If God can cause a storm in Jonah's life, Does that mean that he'll cause a storm in my life? Not just allow a storm, but will he cause a storm in my life? That's a big question. It's a loaded question, actually, because God certainly, he doesn't cause every storm that pops up in our life, but he will cause a storm if he wants to. You might be thinking, I don't don't know if I like where, where this is going because haven't we all had some stuff that we've gone through, stuff that's happened where we're just like, dang, man, this just stinks. And we don't want to pin that on God. We want to pin that on Satan. It was like, well, Satan brought this in or my ex-wife brought this in or my ex-husband brought this in. My kids brought this in. And we don't want to pin it on God, but but we look and we're like, well, maybe God actually did do this thing. We are entering into a space called God's sovereignty and a place where our perception of control falls under his sovereignty. Researchers say that we uh, have about 35,000 um, choices that we make a day. And some researchers say it's actually even more than 35,000. And some of those choices are rather insignificant. Um, I, do I hit the snooze button when I wake up? Choice number one. Do I just get up out of bed? Do I eat oat bran or do I eat Fruit Loops? Do I go to the gym? Do I not go to the gym? Do I uh, brush my teeth? Do brush your teeth? Um, like some, some of the things, the choices that we make, they're just completely insignificant. But then there are some choices that we make out of those 35,000 plus that are life changers. No wonder, I mean, if we got 35,000 choices plus that we're making every day, no wonder we're walking around tired like zombies all the time, right? Anybody like just want to own that? Like, man, I didn't know I was making 35,000 choices. I don't no wonder I'm tired, like, that, that's my excuse now. Like, babe, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I know I keep falling asleep on you, but all day my brain's been, I got 35,000 choices I made. Like, show me the evidence of those choices she probably says. Those choices, they're real, we're making those choices. It's true, but those choices are happening within the cocoon of God's sovereignty. So we have this picture. I tried to wrap up God's sovereignty in one simple, easy picture. It turned out, like it looks like a Starbucks thing. Didn't intend for that. Um, don't sue me Starbucks if you ever see that. I was not trying to copy you. Um, but like what you see is in the middle, we have our choices that we feel like we get to make that we feel like we have this perception of control or we feel, we feel like we're in control, but at the end of the day, it's really just a perception. And all that is wrapped around in Cancun by the sovereignty uh, of God. So that's my ridiculous attempt to try to wrap it up in a picture. But here, let me try to tell you a story of, of how I think this plays out. When each one of our children were toddlers, and you've probably experienced this too if you've got kids, they had to learn how to walk. And they had to learn how to navigate their little world. And I remember um, when they would get to the point where uh, they would uh, run up ahead of us, you know what I'm talking about? Like your kid's just like, man, I wonder if mom and dad are gonna follow me. And so, so they run and then they look back and they like, are they watching? And then they run a little bit further and they look back, are they watching? They're watching to see if you're gonna go with them, but they're kind of, feel like they've got freedom and they're in control in, in those moments. But you've given them the freedom to run ahead, haven't you? You've allowed them to go on ahead of you. But as soon as something dangerous comes into their path, what do you do? What what do you do when something comes up? You've been their choice, don't you? You bend their freedom and you run up ahead of them and you gently reach out your hand and you change their direction so they don't fall into that hole or they don't get hit by that car. Uh, And if the danger is actually immediate, you don't gently change their direction, you forcefully change their direction because it would be better for you to reach out and grab them forcefully than for them to get blasted by a bus. And so we, we bend their freedom and their choice. And so that's a picture of how our choices fit inside of God's sovereignty. He will reach out his hand and he will change our direction if he needs to. Now there are nudges and pokes and changes of the direction that God gives us all of the time. But we probably don't even notice most of them because they're so stinking subtle, they're subtle. But then there are these storms that come into our life. Some of those storms we understand and some of them we're still trying to figure out why they're even there. And so what I wanna do is I wanna suggest that in God's sovereignty, he has the ability and he has the right to do whatever is necessary to change our direction. Our plans, our desire, our will, our choices, all 35,000 plus a day, they all fit inside of his sovereignty. Our control exists inside of his plan. If you need something, uh, just a a few letters to help you remember what God's sovereignty is, just just write down ROA. This is, God is ruler over anything, ruler over all, everything. There's nothing that is outside of his control. Sometimes you and I, we need a nudge, sometimes we need a jolt, and sometimes a storm is the only thing that's gonna wake us up from the slumber of just sitting on our hands and get us moving again. Let's walk through the rest of this passage because I think there's some interesting things here. Verse seven, and they said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on who? Surprise, surprise, right? It falls on Jonah. Now Jonah knows that's gonna happen. These fellows didn't know that was gonna happen. I mean, casting lots is not actually a, uh, a phrase or terminology uh, that we use very often in our, uh, in our world scope because there's, we don't cast lots anymore, right? But when we start talking about scripture, and we're reading scripture, we see it pop up. And so there are two primary places that casting lots comes up right here in Jonah. And then you have another uh, place when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the soldiers are fighting for his garments. They are casting lots in that space. And in that terminology, you don't see it a ton else in scripture, but you do see the whole idea of that outside of the temple when they're making decisions on what, what to do with uh, Purim and Somebody help me out with the, with the name Purim and Ert er, er, Yarm, something like that. Um, so that's the same thing, like uh, using two different things to see what's gonna happen. Casting lots, it's not common for us, um, but it was used in a couple of different ways. Uh, in pagan culture, it was actually sometimes used like a, a Ouija board. You guys familiar with, with the Ouija board? Like you grew up in the 60s and the 70s and that was pretty popular, wasn't it? Uh, people would make them and, and, do, and do all of that. And then I think it was like Milton Bradley like, re, like brought it back out in like the nineties, like it was a game. Like joining the occult was something like, like this is a fun thing to do as a family experience. But a Ouija board, it was this interaction um, with With the gods so it 's just what the pagans are trying to like, they would try to do some things that get the god 's attention and see if the gods would answer them and they use different means in which to do that to communicate with the gods. Um, it was used more frequently, like like rolling dice like you know trying to see like who gets the highest number or drawing straws or flipping a coin, something like that and each person they would take something that identified them from the other people. And it was easy as like you and I, we'd grab like a pen cap that's sitting on the table or a rock that's sitting down here on the floor. And you'd be like, that's mine. And that's mine. And so they would take those items that like, that identified them and they would put it inside of a container and they would shake the container in whichever one popped out they believe, the, Jew, the Jewish population, they believe that that was God's answer um, and telling, telling you what to do next, or in this case, who the person was that, that was evil here. And so they they, shook, they put the, the things in, the pin caps and the rocks and whatever identified people together. And they, they took the cup, the container, and they shook it and out popped Jonah's name, right? Jonah is the fellow here. And it turns out that as they find out that Jonah's the guy All eyes now are looking at him. He's awake now, isn't he? Verse eight, so they started asking him questions. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? They're trying to figure out why on earth would this storm be happening because of you right now? And so they asked him all kinds of different questions. And the first thing they asked him is, what kind of work do you do? What do you do for work? Which is always a bit of an awkward question, is it not? Like some people don't wanna talk about their job. Some people are embarrassed of their job or some people are really excited about their job but don't wanna embarrass anybody else because of their job. It's just an sort of awkward thing sometimes to talk about your job. Especially if you're a pastor. Like if, if, if you're in a conversation and the conversation gets to the point where they ask you um, what your job is, like, like it often happens if you wanna talk to people like, well, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a, I'm a plumber or I'm a, well, what do you do? <laughs> I'm a pastor. And then one of two things happens. The conversation that you've been having for the last 30 minutes just stops and it gets incredibly awkward. And you've been talking about sports or whatever, your favorite team. And then all of a sudden they're like, guess this conversation's done. It's just awkward, incredibly awkward. And and, and then the other thing that happens, like, people, like the, it's a conversation killer. But then the second thing that happens when people find out like you're a pastor, or sometimes even if you're just a believer, they'll start um, confessing all their sins to you. They just unload. And you're like, oh, wait, man, I was just trying to get bread at the grocery store. Like what just happened here? I was, I was on a, a flight one time with, uh, I, I think I was going to Atlanta and connecting somewhere else. And I, and I had this gal who was sitting beside of me and uh, we, were, we were talking back and forth and uh, just to kind of sharing whatever was going on in our life. And uh, all of a sudden, like you got to the question, what do you do for work? Oh yeah. And then I tell her like, I'm a pastor. And then it's like, and so for the next three hours, two and a half, three hours like I am being unloaded on and then I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I do with this information? We get off the plane, like be warm, fed, bless you. you know, what do you do on the plane at that point other than just pray for them? There are times when uh, I just wanna be like, you know, actually I'm still looking for work. Um, the, economy's, the economy's been rough, um, it's been a struggle uh, and uh, so this is what, could you pray for me to find a job because that's, that's what we need right now. Uh, and then you, the conversation gets to keep going, right? It doesn't get weird. We just get to talk like normal people. Um, but they ask Jonah, they say, what do you do for work? Where, where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you from? They wanna know what's, what's going on in his life that's causing this storm. So let's talk real, real quick about something that's not really fun. It's not really popular, but I, I think it's necessary. For Jonah here, there's an incredible amount of hypocrisy that's happening on in his life. This brother has got on a, I love Jesus t-shirt and he just walked into a strip club, okay? That's the dichotomy that Jonah is presenting. He is a, a man of God who's been called by God. and He's on a boat running away from God and he gets called out by these pagan Gentiles who, who, want, who, who, who say, who are you and where are you from? And now he's, he's been outed in front of these sailors. So what we started with, sometimes our behavior, it doesn't match what we say that we believe. And I know that happens to every one of us. And our culture right now, just about anything goes. Um, it is really easy to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible and I believe in what it stands for. And yet our lifestyle not match either one of these statements. And what happens is, there are plenty of people who's gonna come, come, come by you and they're gonna pat you on the back and they're gonna say, well, you know what? That's okay, don't worry about it. We all mess up. You just go, nope, not a big deal. You just do you. Just do you. And they put you on a path and, and not towards Jesus. They put you on your own path of being your own God and just go do your own thing. And that's not how it's supposed to go. It's a big deal that our faith that we profess is a faith that gets practiced. It's a big deal to say, I believe in Jesus and to live that out in your life. I know we've got moments of hypocrisy. I live in it, you live in it, it happens. But for that to be the pattern of our life, to continue to say, this is who I am, but to live contrary to who you say that you are. This is what Jonah is doing here. And it is absolutely dangerous. Now, of course, every one of us in here, we're gonna blow it from time to time. None of us are perfect. We all need to receive grace. We all need to give grace to others, but we were never intended to be an object that sits at rest. We were never intended to be a runaway train that can't be redirected back towards God. We were always intended to be soft to the spirit when he's trying to move us back into motion or to redirect us. These sailors with Jonah's life right now, they are asking Jonah a question that he hoped nobody would ever ask. He was running away from God. And he didn't want anybody to know he was perfectly fine and content running away from God with his plan of hiding off and running off into the sunset to live in the shadows of obscurity. He was going on a long vacation and he was perfectly fine with leaving God behind. What happens in Tarshish stays in Tarshish. Nobody's gonna know, but we know when we read the scriptures, what happens in the dark gets brought to the light. It always comes out into the light. It doesn't get to stay there. Jonah gets called out here which I think is probably one of the best things that could have ever happened to Jonah in this moment because here's what he says in verse 9. And he said to them, "I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land." Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, "What is it that you've done?" For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them this is not the first time that we've seen those words that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. We saw it in the first half of chapter 1. Jonah says, "I am a Hebrew I am a Hebrew. And what that means for him, what's wrapped up in those words is that I'm a child of God. I've been chosen by God. I fear the Lord. But didn't everything in his life in this moment, as he's saying those words, didn't it point in the opposite direction? It sure didn't look like he was afraid of the Lord. It sure didn't look like he had a reverent honor of him. Didn't look like a child of God in this moment. But God's sovereignty sends this storm onto the ocean. Jonah was a prophet who was spiritually at rest and he needed this external jolt to get him moving again. That storm, it was an act of God's grace. It was an act of God's grace for Jonah in his life because it forced him to come out of hiding, forced him to come out of running. At least for the moment, he was being reminded of what his true identity was. God sent this storm so that these questions from these pagan sailors on this boat and in the middle of the ocean could be asked so that they could say, who are you? And so that Jonah could hear the words come out of his mouth, oh, I'm a child of God. Oh, I do fear the Lord. Oh, if you're a child of God, then what are you running away from? Child of God, what are you hiding from? Child of God, what's the shame that is keeping you away from me? This this is what God wants Jonah to hear in these moments. Live what you believe, what's true here. He's a Hebrew, he's a child of God, he fears the Lord. Even if it doesn't look like it in this moment, he is fearing God, this is his identity, this is who he is. What's also true in this moment right now is that this child of God who is in ministry, who's a pastor, who's a prophet, who's been called by God, he's running away from God. And he's running away from his calling. This child of God is bucking against God's will. Does that change his identity? Does that change who he is? No, it doesn't change who he is. He's still a child of God, but is he currently in trouble? And is he going downhill fast in rapid speed? You bet he is. He is heading downhill. And because he messed up, he thought, you know what? The best thing that could happen to me right now is you just get rid of me. Just throw me overboard, take my life. The way to get rid of this problem is is, is get rid of me. And isn't that what sin does to us? Sin will lie to us like that. It will cause you to forget who you are instead of living in the truth of who you are. You start to hide in the shadows. You start to live in the shame of your sin. You start to live in the shame of what your sin says about you. You've got nothing left to offer. Just go ahead and end it. Nobody's gonna care. Here's what happens in verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temptuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What was his solution to his chaos? Just to end it. Is that what God had for him? No, he wasn't done with him. And so in this moment, the sovereign God is jolting Jonah out of this pattern of hypocrisy and he's given him this moment to experience his grace. And they don't want to do this, but they take Jonah and they hurl him over the boat, just like they were hurling all those goods over the boat. And as they hurl him into the sea, there is a large fish that comes in and swallows Jonah. And I believe this is an act of God's grace. We're gonna read about that and learn about that next week. I'll flesh that out. But this was God's grace in Jonah's life. That's not done with him yet. He's gonna to get to see that. So I have got a couple of questions. Are you running from God? Child of God, are you running away from him? Do you think God is done with you? Do you feel like maybe the best situation for your life is in order to get rid of the chaos is just to get rid of you? That is not God's plan for you. God isn't done with you. Right now, he is either nudging you, he is jolting you, or he is sending a storm into your life so that you can experience his grace, not to keep running from him, but to stop running from him, to come back to him, to remind you that you belong to him and that he's not done with you. He is ready to be the external force that puts you back into motion. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give you a challenge for this week. And here's the challenge. Let the maker of heaven and earth Move you into motion. That's it. Let the maker of heaven and earth move you into motion. And if you're already in motion and you are heading in a bad direction, let the Holy Spirit of God redirect you and be the agent of change for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, prayed this morning and it's about how my heart grieves for Jonah. I mean, this is a long, long time ago, but my heart still grieves because the story is it doesn't stop with Jonah. We replicate that in our own lives when we run.